This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Hello and welcome to the Accounting Influencers Podcast, a rapidly growing show for accountants and firms, plus those who serve them, sell to them and sell through them. It features accountancy, fintech news and commentary analysis of that news and how it applies to you as accountants in practice. You also get practical what works tips and experts interviews. This is CPE or CPD accredited. It's social media promoted. It's commercially backed. We have 22,000 listeners right now all over the world in 150 countries, predominantly in the UK and the US. And I'm Rob Brown, one of your co-hosts, along with Martin Bissett. And let's get started with today's show. And thank you to our special sponsors, Iris Software. Martin, you saw a great video just recently from Iris, didn't you? Yeah, well, I think people don't understand about Iris is they were ahead of the game for MTD phase one because they were the first software vendor to be listed as approved by the HMRC for MTD filing. And guess what? They're fully prepared for the next. So they've got an MTD webinar on demand that you can catch up with at any time. Rob, where did they go to to see this? It's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. That stands for making tax digital for our international listeners. And there's some great stuff there that you need to know to guide you through the whole Making Tax Digital initiative. So iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. Right, Martin? That's right. So wherever you are in your journey, Iris know that they have the knowledge and tools to help you in the next steps. That's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. Now we come to our very popular news section. This is where we invite Martin Bissett, who is the oracle of all things in accounting fintech. He's been doing this a long time to separate the wheat from the chaff and tell you accounting practitioners what you need to know amidst all the many exciting things going on in the accounting and fintech world. So Martin, amidst all the noise that's going on out there on the, in the accounting media and the fintech world, what has caught your eye this week? Yeah, kind of scary being called oracle because oracle like CFAX are both obsolete now. Maybe that's a metaphor for my career, who knows? In the news, Irish Software House, not Iris Software House, but Irish Software House Bright has acquired Accountancy Manager to accelerate its ambitions to challenge the likes of Sage, Iris, and Zero in the UK and Ireland. Now, before you in the US and Australia and around the world switch off and go, oh, that's a piece of domestic UK news, it's not. It has far-reaching consequences for you, which we'll come to in a second, but first I'll give you the breakdown. So Bright Group, many of you in the UK will know that as Bright Pay, Bright Group was actually formed six months ago following the merger of the payroll software developer Bright Pay with Relate Software. This deal created Ireland's most popular provider of post-accounting, practice management, and bookkeeping software. Adding Accountancy Manager brings a cloud practice management offering into the group's growing portfolio. Now, why should you care if you're in the UK? Well, first of all, if you're in the UK and you use Accountancy Manager, then you are now part of a much bigger suite. You have now access to far more than you had previously. You can do far more with your software. And of course, with investment, Accountancy Manager is only going to get better. But if you're outside of the UK and think, well, who cares? I don't want Accountancy I've never heard of it. Who cares? What's, what's bright? Who cares? It's not that I'm asking you to take notice of. I'm asking you to take notice of the increasing trend for fintech houses and accounting firms to join forces to be stronger together than they are apart so that they can come after your clients. That's what's going on here. That's the news behind the news. 
And Rob, we've talked about the creation of a 1.4 billion firm in a previous episode. We have talked about who owns the client relationship when Zero decides to cut out the accountants and go straight to the clients. We've talked about this a number of times and it just keeps happening. Software companies and accounting firms are merging. They're merging to be stronger. They're merging to make sure that they're going to beat their competition, which is generally the firms who aren't merging and aren't getting stronger. It's a fascinating story. We did an interview with Kevin McCallum, the incoming CEO at Accountancy Manager, talking about the evolution of accountancy software and what is going on. You're right. It's this getting into bed. We often ask the question, Martin, don't we? Who has the ear of accountants? Who do they listen to? Who do they take Mm. notice of? And they either get ahead of the change or they get it forced upon them. And we know the vendors, software, fintech, have an increasingly influential voice, a huge amount of power, private equity behind them. The mergers and acquisition space is getting ever busier. So is this an industry play, Martin? Is this a game-changing acquisition? I'll I'll give the answer to that to, to Kevin himself, Kevin McCallum. According to Kevin, he's quoted in this article as saying that the merger hadn't been part of the accounting manager roadmap, particularly as he'd only taken the CEO's role in November. He says, we had all our models mapped out for the next four or five years. But as we dug into the bright offer and spent time with their team, and put simply, bringing together the two of the most highly rated accounting software tools in the UK, it simply made sense. Here's the real insight. The backing and investment of Bright will mean the pace at which we can bring functions to the practice management components will be significantly enhanced. We'll be able to do it faster and better. And there's the theme. People looking to do things faster and better. Backing an investment for faster and better. So as a listener to this show, as an accounting practitioner, what backing and investment have you got to make you faster and better in the delivery of your services, allowing you to increase the value of what it is you do? What happens to the accountants to say, oh, it's tech? It doesn't really concern me. I'm just getting in with my job of serving the clients. And they can look forward to their £900 clients and tax returns in the future. <laughs> Other currencies are available. But you're talking yes. there that we talk about a lot is that increasing fight for relevance and attention with the clients because the clients are going to want to know what's happening with the software and what these changes mean for them. They may be using BrightPay, they may be using Accountancy Manager, they may be using other accounting softwares and these mergers happen and the clients are concerned about what it means for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Accountancy Manager has more than 2,000 firms on their books and is now expanding into Ireland while Bright serve more than 7,000 firms in the UK. So this is what's changed, Rob. FinTechs used to try and educate the accounting firms. And the accounting firms were supposed to then go in and, and educate the SMEs. Increasingly, we're seeing fintechs getting bored of waiting for accounting firms to do that. So they're just going to educate the SMEs directly. So SME buying decisions and service level expectations are being driven by what the fintechs are telling them they should be asking their accountant for. Putting the accountant in the middle of this sandwich and creating a squeeze, that's what's changing. Yeah, and for SMEs, we mean small, medium enterprises, typically the small business fraternity, of which there are millions out there in the UK, the US and beyond. So this is going to play out, Martin. What's going to happen with this in the next few years? Can you make any predictions? I can't make predictions. I leave that to the futurists who are all, it's just so right so often. Um, <laughs> but what I would say is just watch the trends. I, my training is as a consultant. A consultant is paid to spot trends and to make course corrections based on that repeat behavior to either accelerate the good repeat behavior or put an end to the bad repeat behavior. Here's the repeat behavior. People keep merging to get stronger and to get stronger to come after new business. New business is stuff they don't already have and it's held by somebody else. That somebody else is you. Draw your own conclusions. 
for your accounting practitioners. See the patterns, serve your clients, stay relevant. That is the news. Improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Really fly. The Accounting Influencers fly. Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Welcome to this week's expert interview. I'm Rob Brown. I'm here with Darren Glanville back for the second time. It's lovely to have you with us, Darren Glanville from Fathom. Hi, Rob. Good to be back with you again. We don't invite everyone back, Darren. So uh, we talked last time about reporting. We really got you deep diving on that is a very key passion of yours. But you've been in this accounting game a long time. What separates the good accountants from the great ones? Oh, you, you, you're getting to the heart of it now. I've, I've, I had hair when I first started this, this, <laughs> this as well. Um, well, you've been yeah, in no. software a long time and you've served accountants. You talk to them all the time, Darren, so you've got a feel for this. No, I, I do. I think this, I, I think what, what separates good accountants from the great ones, I think ultimately it's it's about a sense of passion and purpose. I think it's 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 about delivering on expectations. It's it's not over promising and under delivering. It's it's the opposite of that. And I think it's just being aware of of, of your clients and understanding their needs and passions and, and wanting to make a difference for them. And that's not something you can put on a wall. You, we see so many firms having that, but equally, it's it's living what you you put on the wall. Those messages, those purpose. What why are you doing this? Um, what's your purpose? I think that's that's what separates the good ones from the great. We're in pandemic times. We can't escape that. Maybe we're easing out of it right now. What, in your view, are the biggest challenges that accounting firms or professionals are facing, particularly if they want to grow, come out of this, recover fast? No, but you're right. I think, I think the last two years has, have, have really been exceptionally hard um, for accountants. I think there's so many firms that, you know, coming into March 2020 probably wouldn't have had the ability or the desire to have so many of their staff working from home and, and worrying about loss of productivity, but look at what happened. So that there's been an awful lot of challenges and we've, they've risen to that. And the amount of work that they've incurred has, has, has been huge. Um, I think that the biggest challenges now for a lot of firms is, is relevance, you know, how to remain relevant in digital age and how we can absolutely maximize that opportunity if we're going to continue to thrive. We see a lot of activity in the M&A space. So I think for them, is, is how do we remain relevant? How do we maximize our digital journey and opportunities? What does make an accountant relevant to an accounting client, to a business owner? I think, I think ultimately it's about reviewing and, and maintaining the high level of service. It's about relevance in terms of making sure that we're doing the right things. When we say we're going to do them, uh, we're charging fairly for that. It's not astronomical, but I think, I think there's probably two or three things we can cover off on that one. The fintech industry, the software, the technology, that's advanced at a rapid rate. The accounting profession, though, some might say has not evolved as fast as it should have done. Is there any aspect of the accounting sector that you think hasn't moved as quickly as it should have done? I think it's the change into advisory bundling advisory into your service offering. I think it's it's not it hasn't evolved as quickly as perhaps I would have liked. I think we've, we've certainly seen uh, since I read that report back in 2003 that, you know, here we are 16, 17 years later, and we're still not seeing the majority of firms deriving the level of fees that maybe were predicted back then or, or certainly suggested. Uh, I think we're far off that. I think the focus has been on compliance and not necessarily around advisory building out the core teams, the skill sets that go with that, and therefore the ability to service clients of that, I think it's still a, a way to go. And I don't think it's something that app vendors have traditionally helped uh, along that process either by saying, hey, you know, just sign up for here and you'll solve all of your advisory needs. <laughs> the big promise. Yeah, the, 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 the ethereal promise. You know, I think no product is going to do that for you. You have to invest time. You have to invest in terms of skilling up the team to be able to deliver that effectively. So I think that would, for me personally, would be 
you know, why I'm so passionate about what we do is, is advisory hasn't caught up or, or, or grown or evolved as quickly as it should have done. Mm, and I suppose another question, which may elicit the same answer, what's really working for successful accounting firms and where do the opportunities lie? Is that advisory or something more or different? Many of your listeners will probably have the same view. I think advisory is such a broad spectrum word that I think it encompasses an awful lot. I think if we're looking at traditional type two services, consulting advice, yes, I, th- I think it would be the same thing. But advice sits in so many areas. I think you know we've seen some firms um, upskill uh, and do it successfully in terms of becoming a software business. And I remember Gary Turner from Zero saying at one point many, many years ago, hey, we're all software businesses, whether you like it or not. And I think that's, that's very true. Um, so how can we help clients you know, implement, train on software um, through to advice, through to wealth planning, through to M&A, through to legal, HR? There's such a broad spectrum, I think, that certain firms are now starting to tap into and realize we need a, a, a far broader uh, skill set than what, what we've traditionally had. You mentioned business development on the last episode you were with us on. And have you seen any changes in the way accounting firms win work? You're talking here about client service and how they develop the work that they've already got. But in terms of bringing in new clients, new business, standing out, has that changed much? I think, I think so. I think we, we've, we've certainly seen the rise of, of more tools. I think we obviously, it's not just about pricing and how we price it, but there are some good tools out there um, that help you with that. I think we've seen the rise of some external organizations, networking groups. We've seen tools like The Gap and AMC and a few others. Um, that are really helping firms understand the importance of business development. I think we've still seen the rise of more telemarketing come into that as well, and people using telemarketing agencies to go out there and, and call clients and prospects. Uh, I think that that continues. Also, firms are a lot more savvy around some of those those key business development tactics. I think we certainly see seeing now more firms be open to training and developing their teams to ask more open questions and to at least start that. I, I wouldn't expect anyone to to be a fully fledged, you know, 10 year, 15 year veteran of sales. But I think we are seeing a lot more of the soft skills come into play where they're just starting to now uncover where are you, where do you want to get to, what's the gap, how do we get you there, what's the outcomes that you want. I think there's, there's, there's so much more around that. I think firms now are looking at skills and, and, and technical ability, not so much, but they're looking at soft skills and bringing more people in that can actually hold conversations with clients as opposed to just pure technical qualifications right now. Are you seeing any change in the way business owners buy accounting services? Absolutely. I think, I think without shadow of a doubt, I think we're seeing a much more savvier breed of business owner, not necessarily in terms of fully understanding the ins and outs of double entry bookkeeping. I've yet to to meet a business owner that fully understands the intricacies of that. And I think if they were going to do that, they go to college and, and learn how to bookkeep or become a, a, you know, certainly AAT qualified. They're very passionate about that, but I think they understand the rules of business. And I think that's just evolved of growing up in a digital age where information is so readily available. I think we're moving away from the guy down the pub conversation to, hey, I can just go into Google, type this in and, and see what's going on. We see recommendations through the social media platforms. Um, so I, I definitely think people are a lot more aware of, of recommendations and what other people are using more so than ever now. And I think that's that's really important. I think firms often downplay that as well. The buyers are certainly a lot further down the journey of choosing a firm by the time they get an accountant in to talk to them. I couldn't I couldn't agree more with. But the question is, Rob, and I put that back to you, why, why would people leave a firm? It's, it's generally on two things. One is price versus value. Are they getting the, the, the level of service that they want? Price is only an objection in, in the absence of value. And I think that's so true. So if people aren't getting the level of service or they're not made to feel important enough, they will very rapidly move with their feet. And, and sometimes that is reflected in price. Well, you glanced on something there, not feeling important enough. There are lots of reasons people leave 
an accounting firm as a client, price is one, service is another. The other big one is neglect. Yeah, absolutely. Indifference. A lack of relationship, a lack of intimacy, indifference, as you call it. Yeah, I, I think it is. I think when we look at the market now, let's face it, the barriers to setting up a practice are, are really low now to, compared to what it was traditionally. Someone coming out, qualifying, working in a big four firm can very quickly set up a boutique practice, working from home, especially in today's environment for very little overhead. They can grow that base. And we know the challenges. People will take on a lot of clients traditionally because they just need clients coming through the door to earn the income. But I think we're seeing a lot more difference around that. We're certainly seeing people lead with customer service. They're doing something different. They're protecting that. They're portraying that you know, we're, we're different. And they're, they're living those values every day. I think traditionally where we, we haven't seen that, People have felt they've just become a number in an organization that's growing. They Sometimes they don't know who their client managers are. They're just putting in their stuff at the year end and not feeling loved. And hey, presto, being presented with a bill at the end of it. I think that's what we're seeing in, in the challenge now of, of becoming a digital firm. I see, I see a lot of firms calling themselves digital. But when you lift the hood, they've got three or four clients that are on cloud accounting. <laughs> the firm hasn't got a, a digital strategy, but they're looking then to, to merge and, and to sell to other people as, as the client base, but they're pitching themselves as a digital firm. And, and that's just the start. And I think that's the danger as well, is that they're, they're not really leveraging that. Well, I, I wanted to ask you where you feel some accounting firms or individual accountants have fallen short or being complacent over the last few years. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say complacent. Um, I think that's very strong, although I, I wouldn't discount it either. I think a few years ago, I think when we did some research, the average age of a partner was 59. Um, this was before the, you know, probably about three or four years ago. But if, you know, let's, let's be honest, if, if you're 59 as a partner or an owner of a firm, you've, you've got to where you were by doing exactly what you've always done. You're, you're a, potentially a lifestyle practice. You're not a growth mindset. You've earned a, a nice living from this. You may have two or three staff that are doing this. Do you make the investment or do you look to get out as quickly as possible? And I think that's what we've seen over the last few years is a lack of investment by certain firms to go through that process of digitization to potentially expand the PE value that they get from it as well. But they've made a lack of lack of investment. But you're speaking to the business model of accounting firms, professional firms, aren't you? The equity-based model. Yeah, you are. You are. And I think but there are firms I know that have not made that investment in terms of digitizing their clients, going through the change, the pain of, if you want to call it the pain of, of, of digitizing and looking, you know, putting off that gratification uh, for a couple of years and, and realizing, actually, if I, if I go through with this, I'm going to transform not only the practice, but the lives of my clients, and therefore ultimately, hopefully get a higher higher valuation from my firm when I do decide what I want to do with it. I think some firms have just cut out and said, hey, no, it's not for me. I'll sell and, and get out. Now, you work over there at Fathom. You're an international company, and you're at the forefront of reporting, forecasting, visualizing KPIs, dashboards for accounting firms. Why is that the future, Darren? Why do you enjoy it so much? I think it comes back to, to, to Fathom's purpose, and that is, um, you know, ultimately for us, we want to present clarity and confidence to, to people behind every business through, you know, the advisors that we work with. That's fundamentally what we do. You know, when we look at, you know, how we do that, uh, it's, it, again, building something remarkable is, is hard. And I think it takes time. We want to make genuine connections with our customers, be they advisors or SMEs. We want to align that so we have a, a common purpose, a common strategy. That's what makes people choose Fathom is because we, we generally align with, with what they do. You know, we often forget that sometimes being a business owner, Rob, you will know this for yourself, but being a business owner is a lonely place. And, and that's, I think, 
what underpins us is, is you know, knowing that there are advisors out there that truly care, recognize that and are able to help. And I, I just think, you know, how many conversations I've had over the last 12 months where some of our partners said, look, we class advisory is just sometimes being there, letting our customers offload. We're not selling anything. We're not doing a forecast. We're not doing a report. They're just kind of come to us and just offloaded. Well, accountants have become therapists, counselors, psychiatrists. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and I think, yeah, that's ultimately, what do we want to do? We want to change the game for reporting and forecasting. Um, and that's essentially what we want to do. And we, we have a great team distributed across three offices in Brisbane, Seattle, and, and now in the UK. And that's, that's essentially what we do. And we, we love working with our accounting partners um, to really help them understand that they're not just selling data, they're not just selling a report, they're actually getting into that element of providing wisdom and knowledge and actionable insights that we can work on. Do you have a personal philosophy for success, Darren? You've been in this game a long time, you've stuck around, you've made your way up there, something must be working for you. I think everything we do, one of, one of the things I love about working in the space is, is the relationships, is, is building long-term client value. That's one of the things that has, has always impressed me about accountants. It's, it's kind of like I remember coming into this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed with hair, um, you know, working for one of my first sales jobs. And someone said to me, we're not like the legal sector. We're not transactionally based. Everything we do, the reason why accountants are great is because they recognize the long-term value of a customer. I still maintain that. And I think, as I said before, I absolutely believe you can automate a process. You can't automate a relationship. And I still talk to people I spoke to 20 years ago. Is there a thinker or a book or a movement that's most shaped your outlook for life and business? There's two, there's two or three, I think. I, I don't want to kind of sound a bit corny, but again, I think a, like a lot of accountants, Simon Sinek's Start With Why is always a great book to read. I think also The Truth About Hard Things is a good book to read. Aaron Dignam's book was, was a great one. And also the one I've been recently reading is Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Is there anything you've changed your mind on in the last few years? Over the last few years, I've changed my mind on a couple of things. I think one is from my very early days, I think in terms of selling that, you know, we always viewed January as, as a as a no-go area for set for um, for accountants because of tax returns. And in my very early youth, I would I would literally try to disprove that myth simply by saying, hey, it's not a high enough priority for people. Whereas I think certainly now, um, as I've matured a bit and, and realized and having the opportunity to work in practice as well, which really transformed the way that I approached it, having worked for 15, 18 years in IT and, and solutions for for accountants just having that ability to go and work in practice for three years really opened my eyes to it. And I would recommend it to anyone who's in the fintech sector, go and walk a mile in, in a practitioner's shoes. Is there anything that frustrates you about your job? What frustrates me? That's a really good question. What frustrates me is anyone who thinks that you're going to solve a problem just with a, with a piece of software. You have to look beyond just that piece of software. You can't just expect to put something in overnight and it will magically transform. And I think I've, I've certainly seen that at times. I've, I've certainly seen a lot of what I would call software magpies literally flitting from one shiny thing to the next. And you've spoken before about the importance of compliance, how it's the bedrock for accounting firms. And if you don't get that and your process is right, then any tech is just going to exacerbate the problem, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's the killer, I think, for a lot of firms is they haven't invested. I understand why, but I also yeah, see that you're on a potential route to nowhere with that because you're, you're just going to automate a bad process. Dan, we have a lot of accounting practitioners listening to the show and a lot of fintech influencers, software vendors listening. What's a great piece of career advice you've been given that you perhaps could pass on to them? 
one of the best bit of advice I had was, was, was when I started coming into leadership and that was um, be humble or get humbled, be genuine and authentic. And as you, as you, with teams, you've, it's all about looking after that team. Let's look ahead to the next couple of years. We can't project with any sense of definition what it looks like because we're in uncertain times, but you are in the forecasting and reporting business. You're in the business of looking ahead. You probably know more than most what's coming up over the next couple of years. What excites you most about what we're walking into as we emerge from the pandemic here? I think optimism is is what we're emerging to. We've, we've had a very few hard years. I think firms sadly that that wouldn't survive the pandemic have fallen by the wayside it's it's disappointing to see that but you know realistically not every business does survive but those that are now really emerging from the pandemic i think is they're placing more importance on the ability to plan and and, and look ahead and they're looking at options i think that's that's what excites me most about the next couple of years is they're shifting their focus from the short term cash position to the longer term strategic view that's what i think is 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 key I think we have to help our partners deliver these services in a way that the end user will consume in the appropriate way, whether that's in front of them on a, on a printed report or online uh, or on screen. But also we have to look at the way in which AI and machine learning are going, um, even voice. You know, how, how do we deliver those services and how are our customers going to consume that in the next three to five years? And I think that's why I, I see a huge shift towards moving away from data into the knowledge knowledge space. Um, sharing those those analytics and those those deeper insights with those customers, and providing more advice. I think that's 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 still an untapped potential. Great time to be an accountant of fintech. Uh, best, and I, th- I think we'll only see that increase, Rob. If I'm honest, through more use of APIs as well. So more information, more data coming in. It's been fantastic, Darren. Thank you so much for your insights and your passion today. It's been great. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much, Rob. Thursday, which means we look at here's what works for accounting practitioners all over the world. You are serving your clients, faced with overwhelming odds of learning all the technology, learning all the skills and upgrades you need to work in today's complex world. And Martin Bissett and I are giving you practical advice that works from the trenches, if you like. And Martin, this week, we are looking at what to do when clients tell you that they have no budget. So where do we start with this one? One of the probably major obstacles, Rob, that has ever come up. And... I can't speak for your consulting career, but in mine, it's taken me to 44 countries and it's taken me to over 800, uh, sorry, 1800 firms. This is possibly one of the most common ones. We, we, uh, we spoke to the prospect, Martin, and uh, they wanted to come across and we did write a proposal, but ultimately cost was an issue and they said they had no budget for this. And that was enough, Rob, to stop the process of acquiring the client at that point. So we need to look at language here very carefully. Um, and our, our listeners, I would ask you to really listen in on this point. Any passive listening while you're walking the dog or in the car or walking the dog in the car, I would actually listen to this bit because it's the word that matters. So in many circumstances, when looking to win new clients, a client will say, well, we don't have the budget for it. Now we should pause there immediately because that is a true statement. There was no budget in this year's forecast for changing accountants and spending more accounting services. The figure put in most people's forecast for those who even have a forecast is what they paid last year, repeated again with maybe a rate of inflation increase. So therefore, when they say to you, we have no budget, that's right. That's right. They don't have a budget. 
Now, unfortunately, when they say we have no budget, you hear, we can't afford it, or we have no money. And the problem is they didn't say either of those things, but that's what you heard. And you heard that due to being uncomfortable in this selling situation, therefore possessing a scarcity mentality, expecting to get beat and getting beat. So this whole thing of what you thought they said and what they actually said are two different things. You thought they said, we've got no money or we can't afford it. They actually said, we've got no budget. So here's the difference. Having no budget is not the same as having no money. Having no money would mean that they are literally unable to spend money on accounting services. But of course, they already have an accountant, so they must be able to spend money. What they're saying is, is that there is no money put aside for perhaps the increased fee that you're asking for if they change to you. Now, here's where you need to get serious. Because if you're speaking to a true buyer, if you're speaking to the managing director, the CEO, or anybody with buying capabilities and buying authority, they can move budgets around. They can take money out of other budgets and pay you with it instead. The question is, for them to have to do that, do you represent to them a better return on investment than the money they already had allocated to something else? Or is that other thing over there that they already allocated a better return on investment? Because if you are a better return on investment and it's the buyer you're talking to, that money will get moved and they will find the money to afford you because it's a commercial no-brainer. If you have not demonstrated why you're a greater value to them than their existing accountant or why you're a better investment and spending some money on marketing or a new piece of equipment, then they will simply claim they have no budget and have no desire to take the conversation further. It all rests with you guys. So if you want to know what works, what works is understanding that no budget and no money are not the same things, that buyers can move money in budgets, but that you have got to be a greater ROI and a greater need for them than the other things they were planning to spend money on. And you're not going to be that unless you found out exactly what they're looking for from a professional advisor and have produced a proposal document that makes the commercial case that proves that. And that's what works. So when that comes out of a prospect's mouth, Martin, we don't have the budget for this. Does the accountant come up with a, a series of questions there? What do you mean by budget? How would you guide them in that very conversation? So in terms of the uh, the actual effective language that's employed, yeah, then you, you agree with them. So if I'm going to play both sides of this conversation and the prospect does say to the accountant, and I'm both characters in this scenario, I'm sorry, Martin, we, we don't have the budget for it. You would agree immediately and say, I'm, I'm quite sure you don't have the budget for it. Very few business owners that we've ever worked with had a budget for an increase in accounting spend. That's not generally something that you'd forecast. The purpose of my conversation with you today, Mr. Bissett, is to explain why you should take the money out of another unspent budget and give it to me. That does make sense. And accountants, they do like things in prescriptive terms, don't they? To say, well, what should I do now? What should I say now? This is an overcomable objection, isn't it? It's just a case of rearranging priorities. Absolutely. Think of it from the other side of the table, you know, and somebody came to you with some other proposition. Martin, we want you to buy window blinds. Well, I don't have a budget for window blinds. So why would I buy window blinds? I don't need window blinds. So why would I buy window blinds? Why don't I spend it on desks instead? You know, I've budgeted for desks and the window blinds person would have to say to me, Martin, how often do you get glare through your windows? How often does it shine off the screen and you can't see who you're talking to on the Zoom call? How often do you have a problem with people looking in that you don't want to and distract you from your work? Window blinds solve all these things. 
And they would have to explain to me why I should buy a window blind rather than a desk. And for accountants, if they're asking for more money than they're currently paying their existing accountants, then why? Why should I? That's the case you have to make. And that is what works with handling there. We have no budget for that conversation. Enjoy your day. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast, cutting through the crap to bring you the very best interviews, insights, and wisdom from the planet's most influential people in the accounting and fintech world. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. And a big shout out to one of our newest commercial partners here on the podcast, it's Practice Ignition. Martin, how would you explain what those guys do? Businesses such as accounting and bookkeeping firms use Practice Ignition to one, help them grow, two, be more efficient, and three, create win-win client relationships. There are nearly 5,000 accounting and professional services firms around the world who use Practice Ignition, and they do so to win new business with impressive digital proposals. They engage clients with a clear scope of work and get paid on time by automating payment collection. PI integrates with the leading business apps such as Gusto, QuickBooks, Xero, Zapier, and it does so to automate time-consuming tasks. That means less admin and more time for client Rob. We've got a special offer from our PI partners. Use the code AIR21 to receive 25% off all plans for your first six months. But that's 25% off with the code AIR21. And the link is info.ignitionapp.com forward slash AIP for accounting influences. Practice Ignition, it's time to ignite your practice. Welcome to our special interview for this week. And it's back for the second time, Jody Paydow. Good day to you. Hey, how are you? We're splendid. Don't invite everyone back a second time, Jody, but you were so great last time. We were talking about April and the tax world that was being disrupted by what you're doing there. We also talked about the private equity money coming into the accounting world and got a lot of insights from you on that. For people that haven't come across you, just tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now. Right now, I'm a head of tax strategy and evangelism at April, and we are a consumer-focused tax preparation company. So we're looking to take on essentially TurboTax, which is kind of crazy, but it's really exciting at the same time. Um, we're basically building a 21st century tax engine to change how taxes have been done over the last 30 years, because if you think about it, they haven't changed that engine in 30 years, and we're going to be the ones to do it. Wow. And this is probably why they call you the radical CPA, because TurboTax recently dropped a few million dollars with a Super Bowl ad and you're taking those guys on and you're not scared, are you? You know, it takes a little crazy to change the world. And, you know, and, and if you were to tell me that I, and, and I think that goes back to like what it means for me to be radical and why I'm called the radical CPA. So like, it, and it's crazy now because it was like 15 years ago or almost, I don't know, somewhere between 15 and 20 years ago. That dates me now because I was young at one point. But you're still radical now though, Jordan. Correct. But when I started, I left this mid-sized firm to do things differently. What I started doing is, you know, I essentially figured out what the the cloud version of the accounting firm today is we were, I was one of the pioneers who kind of figured it out, but I was actually doing the work, right? Like I changed my pricing model. I changed the way I worked with clients in the cloud. I changed the way they did work as well with me, right? How they interacted with the new tools and what I kind of created, it wasn't just me. There were a handful of us who were doing it in, you know, 2008, 2009, whatever that became what like they call a firm of the future today, or like this cloud version today. Right. And when I was doing that, everybody thought I was crazy. Nobody wanted to talk. Well, I shouldn't say they didn't want to talk to me. They just missed me. Right. And I went to Twitter and I went to blogging to really write for myself to figure out what was happening and why the world was changing and how this was all affecting my firm. 
found people who agreed with us, who believed the same things we believed, and we banded together. And we were coined actually a movement by the AICPA in 2010. So the leadership at the AICPA saw what these, and they would have called us kids at the time because we were in our early 30s, right? Like, you know, back then, if you were in your early 30s, that wasn't like, you couldn't be a leader at that time. That was not considered acceptable because you had to have like 25 years of experience. But anyways, they saw what we were doing and they realized the need for it. And they helped elevate our voices so that the rest of the greater profession could hear about it. And then the vendors got involved and they helped spread the word. And ultimately what happened is the stuff that we were incubating then has now become mainstream, right? And if you think about that, and you would have told me your ideas are never going to have an impact on the accounting world. And why are you tweeting? And why are you blogging? And I've been like, yeah, you're probably right, but I'm doing it for myself. Well, now fast forward almost 20 years, don't tell me I can't take on into it, Rob. Like, <laughs> I've already changed the accounting world, so don't tell me what I can't do. And, and I think that's really important to think about because we did make an impact and we did make a difference. So why can't we do it in the fintech space? Well, we're in challenging times, Jody. We can't deny that now. And even if we seem to be emerging from the wreckage that was the pandemic, how do you feel the accounting professions and CPAs have coped during that time? So I think there's a silver lining in everything. I think the CPAs that needed to move and will continue on their businesses did. They figured it out. They realized that they could basically automate their offices or at least go remote in three weeks or less, right? Because like the world shut down and they were remote and they managed to get through it. It's been hard on our profession because it's two years of never ending tax season and people are just tired right? Like aside from the pandemic, they're just tired. So I think that's been hard. But I think at the end of the day, we're going to rise, we're going to be stronger than we were. And the people who didn't, they're gone. Like they just closed their door and said, you know what, I'm not going to continue, which probably isn't such a bad thing. Anyways, they probably could have closed five years earlier. No one would have noticed. You can't change the facts. The pandemic happened and all we can do is move forward. And I think that the takeaway, though, is, is if you were able to go remote in three weeks and you were able to be successful in your firm then think about all the other changes that you could make over the next year, if you actually put your mind to it and got started. Right. Like we did it. We survived. We really helped our clients. You know, we're powerful and we can do a lot of things. So we have to give ourselves a pat on the bat and then say, okay, how am I going to take that learning experience and continue to evolve and change my firm so that I'm ready for what's to come, which is a lot more than just remote work. So, I mean, that's opening up the doors for artificial intelligence, machine learning, all the other changes that are happening to the profession today. It's that common. Accountants are not known for their agility, their ability to change and pivot but the pandemic has certainly shown themselves as much as the outside world, how they can embrace change and make it happen. Right. They're capable. They really are capable. You can't tell me you can't do it. Whereas I think prior, and I was always on the speaking circuit and people would say, oh, my clients won't do that. Well, guess what? Your clients did do it. And when you think about too, the behavior changes that people think they can't do, I think the pandemic as a whole showed us that people will change. I mean, now people stand six feet apart. Who would have thought that people would have ever done that, right? They put the stickers on the floor and people are still doing it. People are adaptable. You just kind of have to guide them. So whether it be you or your clients, just take that away as a positive and be like, okay, I can change and I can move my firm into the future. And last I heard CPAs are people. So it is good news. 
And you, know, you talk about in your books and your blogs, you write a lot about the evolution of accounting. Talk to us a little bit about the, the software solutions that are coming into practices and, and what the next steps are for the evolving of CPAs. Everybody talks about advisory, right? Like what's it? But I think at the end of the day, what is advisory? You have to figure out, first of all, what is advisory and what is advisory to you? And I would argue that as CPAs, we've been doing advisory for years. We just never called it that. We never sold it as such. We always were advisors to our clients. We just never separated the advisory part from the deliverable. So what is advisory in your dictionary, Jody? Just give us a definition. Advisory in my dictionary is helping your client attain something that's important to them. Whatever that is, whether it be some sort of strategic financial plan, whether it be a tax position, it's helping your clients achieve something that's important to them. A lot of times we've already done this. We just attach it to deliverable and we sell the deliverable, not the thought behind it. Well, it hasn't been articulated. It hasn't been positioned. It hasn't been priced properly and it probably hasn't been delivered properly, but it's been going on in one form or another. Exactly. Because if it wasn't, and again, this is not all CPAs, but the majority of them, I give the majority of CPAs that they are truly advisors to their clients. Those clients wouldn't be coming to us when their life events happen. So most CPAs who have been in the business long enough know that a lot of times they're the first person who gets the call after someone in their family has died because there's an estate issue. And you're, when you're that intimate with a client, you know that you're relied on and you're their advisor. Now, we've been doing it, but we just never called it that, right? We, and we never separated it and all that stuff. So I think part of it is, is just us as CPAs learning how to sell ourselves better and figuring out what it is we sell and how to package it, et cetera. But the other side of it is we're so busy doing the work, we don't have always the time to think about the work. And that's because we haven't embraced automation. And so when you start to embrace automation, machine learning, all of those things, now the work that we used to spend so much time just doing, it's just going to be done, which is the cool thing. That's what's going to bring us into the future. But now we as CPAs have to know how to put the right conversations on top of that work so that, again, we can sell it as advisory and be relevant as we move into the future. That's the thing that I think confuses everybody, but it shouldn't be because, again, we've been doing it for years. And we're in a much better position now with all the great software solutions available to CPAs. Advisory should be the default position, shouldn't it? It should be. And it's so funny, too, because people say, well, like if the computer is going to spit out the advisory tips, well, then my client can do it themselves. Right. But in actuality, your client can't do it themselves because they don't have context of the greater situation. And that's the piece that CPAs forget that they have because they do it every day. It's that context of having multiple clients, of having a great understanding of business, of understanding truly what the financial statements means. All of that context actually gives you the superpower to be an advisor versus someone, you know, reads a piece of software that says you should do this, this and this. And then the client gets it and says, OK, and does nothing with it. Right. Like that's the piece I think that CPAs forget they have is it's that context. And that's what makes them powerful. So what is the next big step in the evolution of CPAs? Is it advisory or is that already being done? That just needs repositioning. Is is there something else? Well, I think it's advisory, but I think it's just embracing the fact that the way firms operate today is not the way they're going to operate tomorrow. I think it's saying, okay, we talk about a new business model. Okay, what does that business model look like, right? How do you intersect advisory in it so it's there? How do you utilize technology there? How do you how do you create whatever that I'll say next idea of what the firm of the future is? 
today for tomorrow. Because today, when they say the firm of the future, to me, they're talking about the cloud firm that I did 15 years ago. So <laughs> like, if you look at what the vendors are touting as the firm of the future, et cetera, it's kind of like what the early adopters figured out 15 years ago, right? So if we're really talking about the firm of the future, how do you kind of mix all that stuff up and take it up another level? And I would argue too, we probably don't know what we don't know yet because it's not here yet. I mean, if you think about even like social media, social media wasn't here 15 years ago. Now there's all kinds of jobs around it and like how it really changed the marketing world. I'm sure there's going to be stuff that's happening in the accounting space that we didn't even know that we needed. That's going to change. And like all of a sudden what we're doing is going to be very different. And to me, that's exciting. Like that's the cool stuff. Truly. And they're a lease accounting software. Um, I'm actually on their board, but they just raised another $15 million and they're taking unstructured data and they're making it structured. And what that means in regular terms is basically they're taking something off of a document like a PDF and they're turning it into a workflow or into something that you can do with it, right? Like you, you can manipulate that data in some sort of way. And this might kind of take your listeners for like a leap, but <laughs> what if you didn't have a financial statement anymore, but all you did was have a database? Debits and credits actually went away and it all became a way to surface data to the top, right? And that's how we ran the world. I mean, those are like the crazy ideas that I see are coming and you can say that I'm nuts, but it's coming, maybe not tomorrow, but it's coming in the future because as people are able to work with data more and more, then you can do more creative things with data. And why couldn't you have a financial statement that was based in contracts, not on, um, and I don't know if I'm explaining this the best way, but if you think about a financial statement, when you go to audit a financial statement, basically you take it back to all the original documents. You go back to the source documents to make sure that the source documents are correct because you're going backwards, right? You're auditing backwards. Well, what if instead of auditing it, like it just was? It just was the, the database that created the financial statement. So I know that's like crazy talk, but I don't think it's that far off. Mind scrambled. Jody, you, uh, you wrote the book, uh, Success to Significance, the Radical CPA Guide. And I'm just thinking here, the vendors, the software people, they hold the data. They're becoming more and more powerful. Are we seeing the marginalization of accountants? Because they are fighting for significance. They're fighting for relevance in the eyes of the business owner, aren't they? There's, is there a fight going on there? I think there's a fight going on, but I think it's the accountant's fault. I don't think it's the vendor's fault. I, I'll blame the accountants because if you're not expressing and selling your value, why should someone buy you? So if you can't talk to your client and your client doesn't see why you're special to them, then you can't go blame the competition and go cry about it. You need to figure out how to up your game and sell what it is that makes you special, what it is that makes you valuable. And if you think about as everything gets more and more automated, people have to be more human and you can't take the human out of the CPA. So like, you can take the data out of the company, right? But you can't take the human out of the CPA. So definitely, you know, you have to be more human and you have to figure out how to position yourself so that you're relevant. And you can't just cry and say, oh, the vendor, you know, they're taking my customers, whatever. <laughs> it, just, it just frustrates me because like it's a bunch of whiners. I don't know. Well, and, and in the world of differentiation and relevance, you've got to market yourself. It's no good being different. You've got to communicate that as being different. You've done an amazing job over the years of marketing yourself and your brand. You've been at the forefront of adoption and technology and, and marketing. I want to ask you about some marketing tips for accountants listening. 
But let me ask you this. How do firms differentiate themselves in a world where they all look and sound the same? They all have similar websites, making similar promises with similar values. What's the secret? Start with something different. (laughs) It's as simple as that. It doesn't even have to be better. It just has to be different. Basically, the fact that your accounting is correct, that's a table stake. That's like like you go to a firm, you assume the accounting is correct, right? You assume like it's a given. So you can't say, oh, I'm great because my accounting's correct. So you have to figure out what makes your firm special and then celebrate it. And then scream it from the rooftops and tell everyone about it and do it online. And I think that's the difference. I think before partners used to do it and they used to do a very good job of it, selling in an offline world with their bankers, their relationships, the networks, their networks, right? You just have to take that exact same idea and put it in an online world. And part of it is digital marketing where you're like, creating thought leadership and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I believe that social is not social media, it's social business. And it's just like doing business on the golf course. You start engaging with conversations with people, those conversations turn, they go from online to offline. And then before you know it, they actually reach out to you. They want to do business with you because they've already determined that you're the perfect person who can solve their problem. So it's just taking that networking thing that you used to do in the offline world and you're putting it on. And for me, the cool thing about it was, is I believe that social media leveled the playing field for women, because when you're in social, it's not like you can do it at all hours of the day or night. It's not like you have to be home with your kids or whatever, and you can't do it because a lot of times networking would happen after hours when women just couldn't be at the bar or because they had kids, right? They were going home to their families, right? So social level the playing field on that way. But it also leveled it in the fact that you don't have to be on the golf course. You don't have to be invited to that closed door, whatever, because social is everywhere. And so you have a lot more opportunities. And that's the thing about social, again, that people don't think about. It's it's nothing new. It's just in a different format. And now all of a sudden you take those networking skills you, you've built offline and you put them online and now you blow, you blow stuff up. That's great. And I love that term social business rather than social media. But whose job is it? Is it the CPAs themselves, say, within a big firm? Or should they be saying, hey, it's the marketing department's job to raise our brand and talk about us. We're too busy charging hours and looking after clients. Well, I think it's both, right? I think you want the marketers who can exploit you, right? So, But I think at the end of the day, you have to define what the brand is, depending on how big the firm is. And whether it's a brand of many, many partners or it's a single brand. And again, that's at the leadership level, how they want to sell themselves. And then you just have the marketers help you. Too many professionals don't want to talk because they're afraid. But in reality, nobody cares. Like people think that they're going to be upset that there's a misspelling or a typo. So they don't they don't post. And it's like, you know what? Nobody cares. They move on. They scroll past it. Like they've already moved on and you're still worried about the typo you had in your last post. And yet being out there is what's important. It's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be hundred percent polished, but I mean, it has to be professional, but you don't feel like it has to be perfect because if you're waiting for perfection, you're never going to post anything. And I've got to ask you about LinkedIn and how that's changing. You're on a number of platforms, but uh, Facebook used to be the social place where you put what you had for dinner and the jigsaw that you finished and taking the dog for a walk. But we'll see more of those posts on LinkedIn because people are saying, That's the stuff that's getting me engagement. It's not the insights. It's not the high value content, but it's just getting me a following. What's going on there? And is that really the case? 
Well, I think it comes back to people do business with people. And if all you regurgitate is high level thought leadership, nobody wants to read your stuff. I don't care. Like people want to see the picture of your dog. They want to see, um, you know, even on LinkedIn, though, even I believe on LinkedIn, you need to put something personal there. And again, it may not be. But if you see the dog posts are the ones that move like anything else, like the kids, all of those. I think there's a way you can tone it that it's something personal yet professional. And that's what's going to get the engagement. And here's the thing. If you don't get engagement, that means only 40 people are going to see your post. If you get engagement because it's got a goofy picture or something a little bit connected to it, 10,000 people will see your post. And then it's just a numbers game. Do you want 40 people or do you want 10,000? And if you have 10,000, isn't it more likely that one of them is going to say, oh, like I need a CPA. Again, it's like being in front of the right people at the right time. And if you're not in front of them, how are they ever going to know, you know, <laughs> that they even need a CPA or that like you met their need when they were ready to buy? Because that's the other thing is like you do advertising, like you you do it consistently because people don't need it until they need it. And then when they need it, you need to be in front of them when they've decided it's time to make a purchase. So that's the whole idea of the consistency of it. And I think too many people think that, oh, I'm going to post once and it's going to be like, no, it's six months. Like any good business development takes six to 12 months. So don't look at social as any different than, you know, even if you were, again, take it offline. If you were to go to a networking group, you need to go at least six times before you're really probably going to make a relevant connection. Accountants would know LinkedIn. They would know Facebook. Would they know Instagram and TikTok and other things like that? Are they going to be avenues of marketing for accountants, do you think? So I think you would be surprised at how many people watch TikTok. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I watch TikTok nonstop. So that tells you where I am. It's like you would be surprised because, again, people do business with people and there are lots of middle aged people on TikTok just watching TikTok. So if that's your demographic and you think you have a service offering to sell someone who is a corporate person or a small business owner, don't think that they're not on TikTok. <laughs> I think that's the thing. I, I, But I also think you shouldn't go like everywhere because like you'll make yourself crazy. So pick one or two platforms and be on it and be solid. And the thing about TikTok today is there are very few accountants there. So the reason I have the following I do on LinkedIn is because I started in 2011 when nobody was on it. So if you can get into a new platform early, you have all the opportunity because nobody else is there. It's not all this attention going everywhere else because you might be one of five accountants on TikTok, right? So again, do you want to be one of five or do you want to be one of 70 and see what your return is? So TikTok's not a bad place. You wrote a book called uh, New Rules for the Future Ready Firm. So I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out right now. And moving forward, tell us what's coming up for the accounting profession. And then I'm going to ask you what's coming up for Jody Paydar. I think what's coming up is accountants are going to do less busy work. They're going to be better advisors and they're going to figure out how to position themselves because I believe in accountants and I believe that they have the, the skill set and the ideas and the, the longevity that they it's in them, that they're going to figure out how to be the firm of the future. And we might not know exactly what that looks like yet, but I believe we're going to get there and we're going to figure it out. You're calling it now. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to figure that out. We haven't figured it out for, for many, many years, but we're going to figure that out pretty quickly. We've shown we can change though, haven't we? 
And I'll tell you this, the next generation is going to take us there. So it's not going to be the boomers and it's not going to be the partners who are partners today. It's going to be the managers and the seniors today who are going to figure it out because they have to, because the partners are going to retire and it's not relevant to them. But if you're an accountant and you're in your early thirties and you have another 25 years in the profession, you're going to figure out how to make it relevant for your life moving forward. True that, love that. And uh, the radical CPA, staying ever radical, what's coming up for you over the next few years? I want to build the tax engine that's going to change the world. So that's my radicalness, right? So radical was cloud and social and um, pricing back in the day. And radical moving forward is machine learning, artificial intelligence, right? It's always about what's next. And at April, I've been given the opportunity to really make a difference in the tax world. So I'm going to take it and we're going to figure out how to make a tax engine that's going to change the world. And right now we're in the consumer space, but I hope soon we will be in the professional space and people will be like, wow, you know, she created that software that really that really makes a difference in the CPA's life that tax software, not software in general, but that tax software that's making a difference in their life. Jody, this has been brilliant. Would you leave us and the accounting practitioners listening with some words of encouragement and advice for them to stay relevant, stand tall and strong in the turbulent world that's coming up? Absolutely. You can do it. It's one step. And if you don't know where to start, I always say, take a blank sheet of paper, pretend you don't have your firm that you have and build the firm that you want. So like draw a picture of what the firm is that you want. Forget about all your partners, all your clients, everything that you have in the past. Just erase it. Take a blank sheet of paper and draw what you want your firm to look like. And then when you have that paper, you're going to start doing one thing at a time on that paper to change your legacy firm to move towards the firm that you want it to be in the future. And I think what that allows you to do is to kind of get rid of all the things that you thought were holding you back because now you're building towards the future. Don't worry so much about changing the past, but build towards the future. What a radical idea. Exactly. (laughs) That's what they call me, the radical CPA. (laughs) Jody Pena, that's been superb. Thanks so much for your time and your passion today. Awesome. Thank you. This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Accounting Influencers Show. You've been listening to the full show that goes out on a Monday featuring top class interviews with leaders throughout the accounting fintech world. A new segment where we don't just analyze the news, but tell you what it means for you. And a here's what works practical segment for you accounting practitioners to help you raise your game, upgrade your skills and serve your clients better. Thank you for tuning in our 25,000 listeners in 150 countries. We're growing by hundreds every week. It's the only daily accounting fintech show out there. We really appreciate you sponsoring us, being with us, reviewing us, thanking us. You, our commercial partners, you, our listeners. Remember, you can tune into Saturday's bonus episode as well. We're going through a series right now on The Price is Right, tackling that very tricky subject for accountants on how do you price right? How do you price confidently? How do you price in that your clients will value what you're putting in front of them and be willing to pay for that? So loads of great stuff going on. Keep tuning in. Keep sharing it with your friends. Do leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to on. And thank you for tuning in. We'll see you on next week's show.